So happy Easter. Um, you can say it back. <laughs> so you might be thinking, oh, Lisa, no, Easter was on April 21st. Well, friends, let me tell you, Easter is not a day. Easter is actually a season, just like Christmas, where there are how many days of Christmas? That's right, there's a very famous song. There are 12 days of Christmas. There are 50 days of Easter, seven Sundays. So from April 21st until Pentecost Sunday, the 50th day of the Easter season, we um, will hear over and over and over again the beauty and the power of God's resurrection. Now, I think it's important uh, for Easter to be a season and not a day because when Christ offers us life, sometimes that feels more like an ethereal concept than it does a reality. I want to say that one more time. When Christ offers us life, it can sometimes feel more like an ethereal concept than it does a reality. So we have to over and over and over and over again remind ourselves that this story that we say about Jesus overcoming the grave, that Jesus overcoming death, that it actually has some real potency for our lives on a Sunday today. It takes some convincing to believe that the life that Jesus offers us and that the death that Jesus has overcome is really real. Yesterday, as I heard the news of um, Rachel Held Evans, who is a, a phenomenal writer and theologian, 37 years old, two young children under the age of three who passed away after an infection and a stint in the hospital, saying Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, feels very far off. When you turned on the news and you see whatever new thing is going to become a hashtag for the week, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, might feel like a very far off reality. Or for whatever trauma or, or tragedy might be happening in your life right now, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, might feel like a far off reality. And so, in God's infinite wisdom, in the power of the church, not just on Easter Sunday, but for 49 days from that, we get to hear over and over and over and over again, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, alleluia, and that means something for you. May it be that on the 50th day of Easter, we might actually trust in the resurrection in our lives. So this morning, I'm going to read um, maybe a familiar passage of scripture for some of us, and I'm going to invite you, um, if you have your Bibles, whether on an app or um, the book itself, to turn to John chapter 21. It's the last book in John's gospel. And we're going to begin with the first verse, and we're going to get down to um, the 19th verse of um, this exchange. So Jesus has come and shown himself to the disciples and has come through the closed doors. We talked about that yesterday, or last Sunday, excuse me. And now Jesus is going to appear before the disciples again. And this is what the gospel writer says. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, that's the one who actually touched Jesus' wounds, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, 
Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. Jesus said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, by the way, the disciple who Jesus loved is the disciple who's writing this gospel. You know how people be feeling about themselves. <sighs> that disciple whom Jesus loved, who's also writing these words, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And so Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. I want to read um, from verse seven. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. For he was naked and jumped into the sea. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And will you pray with me? Before we ever spoke a word to you, O oh God, you were speaking words to us. Before we took our first breath, you were breathing life into us. So God, we trust you above all else. We even trust you more than ourselves. So we ask, oh God, that you would speak to us a trustworthy word, 
that you would take my words hostage and that you would speak in such a way that we are able to truly hear you this day, not simply listen to the words, but that we would hear your word. God, may these words touch our ears and the ears of our hearts. May they take root in our hearts that they might be lived out beautifully with our lives. God, would you speak to us, for your servants are listening. This we pray in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. So from 1999, um, when I graduated from Wofford College until 2001, right before I started seminary, I worked as an admissions counselor on Wofford's campus, and which means that I read a whole lot of college essays. I'm about to drop a little knowledge on any of you all who might be in the process of writing a college essay, because there are two types of college essays that I remember. The first, which is the most popular uh, college essay that uh, students will write in their senior year, even This American Life did a special podcast about this type of college essay. It is the mission trip, I was changed so deeply essay. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you the volume, the volume of students all throughout the state of South Carolina and across the country who wanted to come to Wofford College, who ended their college essay saying, I thought I was going to do blah, 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 but I got a whole lot more. And I would cringe every single time I would read one of these college essays because when I was applying to go to Wofford College, guess what essay I decided I wanted to write about? <laughs> the beauty and the grace of God is that I typed up that little essay and it was saved on a floppy disk, which means that no one can ever read it again. <laughs> God is a good God, God's reckless love. There's no dot matrix printer that God will not tear down. <laughs> the other college essay that um, I would oftentimes remember would be the college essay where a student would get very brave and courageous and they would share about a pretty um, dramatic or sensitive moment in their lives. They might have talked about when they committed a crime. They might have talked about when their family fell apart. They might have talked about some personal trauma or even a way that they might have injured some other person. And I would always be captured by these particular words because I would think they don't know if they're going to get into this school or not. They don't know if they're going to see the person who actually read these words, but they were courageous and brave enough in this moment to share about this particular moment in their lives that was so either important or, or life-altering or, or shifting that they wanted to share it to give us a glimpse into their lives. And some of these individuals talked about these sensitive things in such masterful ways that you knew that they were so in tune with their own story. But this is the other reason why I feel like I could remember um, those college essays the most, especially when those students would get onto campus. Because it was very easy to see which of the students would just share the stories and which of those students would be held hostage by those stories. Because there were moments when, when a student would get in trouble somehow, some way, it always came back to that essay that they wrote. Uh, that when a student um, uh, kept on doing the same thing over and over and over again, it, they would replay the thing in, in their essay. Uh, when they were having difficulties with, with someone around them or with their professors or with their, uh, with their colleagues, that somehow they were, they were going back to that third paragraph that they had written in their essay. It was interesting to see how some people could share about their story. And it was also interesting to see how some people would be trapped 
by their story. How one paragraph in their storyline of the trajectory of maybe their 18, 19, 20, 21 years of life somehow seemed to be greater than the rest of the story that God might be wanting to write for their lives. And as we read um, this uh, passage of scripture in John's gospel, I think we should all ask ourselves the question, has Peter gotten stuck in one paragraph in the storyline of his life and forgotten about the way in which God might change the trajectory of Peter's life? Because we have now for the last three weeks um, talked a bit about Peter and the ways in which Peter has engaged this living God. At this point in the story, it is the fourth evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and the third time that Jesus has come to the disciples in post-resurrection form. The fourth piece of evidence of Jesus' resurrection, the third time that Jesus has shown up in the resurrected form. Peter has been to the tomb, and when he has gone to the tomb, he was courageous enough to go into the tomb to recognize that Jesus was not there. Peter was in that upper room where they were locked away because they were so fearful of the Jews. When Jesus makes his entrance through the locked doors, Peter was there when Thomas got close to Jesus and touched Jesus' wounds. Peter has been in the presence of the resurrected Lord, and now he has gone back to doing the thing that he did before Jesus had called him in to a life to fish for people. In this passage, it says that Peter is with a couple of the disciples. And Peter says, you know what? I think I'm going to go fishing. And Peter gives the head nod to some of the disciples. And some of the disciples are like, we might as well go fishing with you. So they get on the boat and they begin to fish. But good googly mooglies, when they go fishing, they're not even successful at this particular, um, at this particular task. And it says that Jesus is standing on the shore of the beach and sees them, probably like this, bless their hearts, Lord have mercy, and tells the disciples in their very unsuccessful fishing venture, put your net on the other side. So basically change up your strategy. And when Jesus tells them to change up their strategy, it says that all of a sudden they had caught so many fish um, that it was difficult for them to drag the fish onto the boat. And the disciple whom Jesus loves <laughs> recognizes after this miracle, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, the Lord. The King of Kings is the one who told us to put down our nets and is the one who is able to help us switch up our strategy of bless your hearts and to those who are able to see a miracle be performed. And when that disciple recognizes that it is Jesus, the Lord, even though Peter didn't recognize that it was Jesus, immediately it says, that, G, that Peter hops out of the boat and he uh, swims to get to Jesus. He immediately responds. Now, this um, happens to be the posture of the beloved disciple and Peter. Peter is always hasty and just goes for it. The beloved disciple is always like, it's the Lord. I'll stay back here. Peter, you go tell us what's going on. <laughs> now, um, in verse 7, verse 7 is the most interesting verse, I think, in this whole passage. It says that Peter is naked. That's how we say it in South Carolina. Peter is naked. And then when Peter knows that it is Jesus who is on the shore, Peter, I gotta come down, friends, because this is what I need you to really understand. It says that Peter puts on clothes 
How many of you, when you're about to go get into the pool, say, now where's my fur coat so I can get in the pool? How many of you start thinking, you know what, I really need to wear that nice like um, silk shirt that I have because I'm about to go get in the water. How many of you go to the beach and you wear a turtleneck? How many of you are thinking, I really don't know what sweater I'm going to wear before I get into the water? Now this is the other interesting thing about uh, Peter in this particular alert moment. When it says that Peter is naked, actually Peter is probably wearing a loincloth. <laughs> he is wearing a Galilean version of a Speedo. He is already appropriately dressed to dip his toes into the water. But Peter is like, I need my clothes. Where is my robe before I get into the water? Here's what scholars believe about this moment that I think we overlook. Do you remember that in um, Genesis, in the garden, when Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit, what is the first thing that they recognize? They recognize that they are naked. And when Adam and Eve, who recognize that they have moved in the opposite direction of the will of God, recognize that they are naked, Adam and Eve, after um, they put, it says, fig leaves, they cover themselves, they go and they hide. This moment for Peter is as though he is the nude Adam. That in the face of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, he recognizes his shame. He's naked and exposed. And putting on clothes is the way in which Peter is saying, oh God, I just, mm -mm. I feel ashamed. I am not worthy. I have done wrong. In the, when he recognizes Jesus, his first instinct is, I'm not, I'm not good. I got to cover myself. Now, the courage, though, is that um, even though he hides himself, he still moves toward Jesus. He gets in the water and he goes toward Jesus. But I want you to hold on to this. Is that Peter sees Jesus, but unfortunately because of his shame, Peter cannot see himself the way that Jesus sees Peter. Aaron's going to come and he's going to tell you why Peter can't see himself. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because the disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty, duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door said to Peter. He replied, I am not. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. 
Peter has seen Jesus three times. Peter has heard Jesus say to him, peace be with you, three times. Peter has watched his friend Thomas place his hands in the wounds of a resurrected Lord. Peter has been in the tomb and recognized that the tomb is no longer a place of death, but the tomb marks a place where there can be life. And every single time Peter has come into the presence of the resurrected Lord, Jesus has been nothing but gracious and kind to Peter. In this particular moment, when Peter jumps out of the boat, still feeling ashamed and moving towards Peter, Peter gets an invitation to have brunch with Jesus. Jesus says to him, come and I'm going to make you breakfast and actually feeds him. And then it says he breaks bread with Peter. Jesus has shown up over and over and over again. And yet it seems as though Peter has not been able to show up for himself. After this awkward breakfast, because the disciples don't want to ask Jesus, Jesus, is this really you, Jesus? <laughs> it says that after they had finished the meal, that Jesus takes Simon Peter to the side and has a conversation with Simon Peter. And Jesus identifies Peter in this moment. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Yes, Lord, I love you. The first question, do you love me? And Peter's response, yes, Lord, I love you, was to make up for the first time that Peter denied him. Second time, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, responds to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It is to make up for the second time that Peter denies Jesus. The third time, at this point in time, Peter's probably thinking, even though I have covered myself up, I still feel so exposed. It says that Peter even has, offers a rebuttal like, Lord, I can't believe that you're going to ask me this question a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. It is to make up for the third time that Peter denied Jesus. Jesus shows up to Peter three times. Jesus restores Peter three times. And after he has this exchange with Peter, he then asks Peter, will you feed my sheep? Will you tend my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? If Peter can't understand his own wholeness, that Jesus died and was raised for Peter's sin and shame, that Jesus died and rose so that Peter might not live always a cloaked life, 
so that Peter might not live in the fifth paragraph of his story of the times that he said, I don't know this one, I don't know this one, I don't know this one, and then the cock crows instead to hear God say, peace be with you. Simon Peter, do you love me? Simon Peter, feed my lambs. Simon Peter, you're going to be the one upon whom I'm going to build the church. Simon Peter, follow me. But if you do not understand that I have come so that you do not have to always cloak yourself. How can you go into a world to feed sheep, 10 lambs, feed sheep if you yourself have not been restored? Are you living in a particular paragraph of your storyline? And that one little paragraph, yeah, it might be weighty. Yeah, it might speak to your brokenness. Yes, it may not be your mess, mess moment. Maybe it was your messiest and worst moment. And yet Jesus will come and say, Lisa, daughter of Fred, do you love me? L Lisa, let me ask you again. Lisa. Son of Fred, I mean, daughter of Fred, do you love me? When you receive the bread and you're told that the body of Christ is broken for you and that this is the cup of joy, the cup of salvation, are you really listening? When after the prayer of confession, the words are offered, you are forgiven, are you really listening? When Jesus says, peace be with you, when you're locked behind closed doors, are you really listening? Does Jesus see you? And yet you have difficulty seeing yourself or the way in which Jesus sees you. Friends, the beauty and the scandal of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not that we would put our stories on repeat, is that Jesus might change our story. So don't find the fur coat. Don't try to somehow cloak yourself. Don't worry so much about what you look like when Jesus is standing on the shore and you've got to get to this Jesus to change your life, come as you are and trust that Jesus will take you as you are but not leave you the same. Your fifth paragraph, your seventh paragraph, your first paragraph is nothing to the power of the resurrection that is life that is really life in Jesus. And so will you pray with me? God, we say over and over again 
in the church world that we can just come as we are. But we know full well that oftentimes, Lord, we are always trying to pretty up ourselves. That we find savvy ways to overcompensate for our brokenness and for our sin. That there have been moments when you have spoken peace over us and we have hurled slurs at ourselves. There are times when you have told us to get up off of our mat and we have made our mat our resting place. There are moments when you have asked us if we want to be whole and we have not trusted that we can be redeemed or restored and so we would rather hold on to our broken stories. God, we know we say it, that we are allowed to come as we are, but we recognize the risk of jumping out of the boat just as we are to meet you. But God, sometimes, Lord, we, we get to a place where we can ask for courage, that we might come exposed, that we might come broken, that we might come cognizant of the things that we have done in our lives that have broken us, broken others, and broken your heart. And that you're living for us and you're dying for us and you're being raised for us is not to leave us in that place. So God, would you speak? Would you ask us the question? Do we love you? Do we love you enough to walk away from the old life? Lord, do we love you? Do we love you to trust in your saving grace and not in our own power or our slick ways of overcompensation? Lord, might you ask, do we love you? That we might actually allow your love to make something of us that we can see ourselves as you see us. God, we're going to come as we are. And we're going to ask that you will not leave us as we are. We ask this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.